a track that could be described as a sonic goodie bag. An intricate audio tapestry that started with a single sound. And a piece that will leave you vexed. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. All right, folks, another themes and variation coming at you. We got a great episode for you today as we're talking about songs that defy expectations. We've got three tracks that for one way or another just might exceed whatever preconceived notions you have about them. And joining me for this deep dive into some tracks that defy expectations are, of course, my frequent co-host, Mahalia Lee, and composer, producer, and performer, Ryan Lott. You may know Ryan as the founder of the trio Sunlux, along with guitarist Rafik Bhatia and drummer Ian Chang. The band's latest studio release is an album trilogy called Tomorrow's, released in full in 2021, as a band Sunlux scored A24's highly acclaimed indie film, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. The full score album was released in March of 2022 and features collaborations with Mitski, David Byrne, Andre Benjamin, Randy Newman, Moses Sumney, and many others. And as a composer, Ryan is frequently commissioned by new music ensembles, including 8th Blackbird, Grammy winners Third Coast Percussion, and Y Music, who enlisted Lot to compose their entire 2017 release first. And listeners of the show may know that Ryan is the latest artist to partner with Soundfly.com to bring a brand new course to life. That's right, Ryan Lott designing sample-based instruments is now live at Soundfly.com. And in this course, Ryan shows you how to find and construct inspiring, unpredictable sounds and turn those sounds into playable instruments. You'll also learn to write music in response to instruments that emerge through experimentation, rich with contour and variation. See what kind of music you can create when you move beyond the limits of traditional instrumentation. And folks, remember, you can get a 20% discount on a monthly or annual subscription to soundfly.com just by using the code PODCAST. That's PODCAST in all caps. And I think that's just about enough out of me. So without further ado, let's get into the episode, Songs That Defy Expectations. All right, folks, another themes and variation coming at you. I'm joined, as always, by the one and only Mihaly. Mihaly, how are you doing? I'm good as as almost always. Almost always. At this yeah. we've this is like our 48th episode sure. I think and you've what? only been on like 44 of them or but something so. What? Yeah, it's a lot. It's it's Wow, that is. It's a lot. I know we're getting there. We're growing up. Anyway. That's uh, <laughs> wow. Well, we've got uh I mean the the person reacting to that very exciting and uh <laughs> also like kind of crazy news that I just hitting me now that we've done so many episodes is <laughs> our guest for this episode. I'm so excited and pleased to be joined by producer, composer, and founder of one of my favorite groups of all time, Sunlux, Mr. Ryan Lott. Ryan, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. Thanks so much. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, in a in a long line uh, of uh, hopefully um, slightly less interesting guests, and so this will kind of feel like the best one. I think it will. <laughs> that's my that's my hope. <laughs> we'll see. I think it's got potential to it's be there kinda, for sure. It's so, kind of a. I'm I'm kidding, of course. Uh, what what I really mean to say is that um, that is a lot of guests. Yeah. And um, uh, so this year number alone is a tough act to follow. So. <laughs> I'll do my best. I think I think you're going to be on the Mount Rushmore of guests that we've had on Theater of Variation for sure. If I was going to pare it down, so that's it's setting the bar pretty high. But I think yeah. we'll be all right for sure. So Ryan, your course, Ryan Lot designing sample based instruments is live. It's in the world. Lots of people, honestly, like I'm getting fantastic feedback on this one. We're not surprised at all. But from your perspective, I got to know like what can students expect to get out of this course? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm. Pretty thrilled how that uh, turned out. I haven't actually taken the course myself because that would be a little weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. But from from all the videos and, and promotional things and stuff y'all have put together, 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of how it's, it seems like it, it turned out. So, um, it kind of depends on what you bring to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like any course or class, um, the posture you bring when you walk in the room, um, is a big part of it. Uh, I think there's a mm-hmm. ton to learn, even if you know a lot already, it's because of music. <laughs> yeah. It's like an infinite castle with an infinite number of doors and sometimes the smallest and simplest and maybe even most rudimentary things um, can open a door into a room you've never been in before. The course and the way that I think we conceived of it and the way y'all put it together is not just for folks who are starting out thinking about designing instruments, um, sample-based instruments with contact or the live sampler or whatever sampler you're using. I think the uh, the course and how it sort of unfolded and the discoveries we made um, along the way could be really illuminating for the individual process, uh, an individual's process, okay. even if they have a lot of experience. Part of the reason is because I think what we, we worked with um, two great musicians and anytime you introduce other musicians into the mix, you always have like, a, you know, there's a chemical reaction that you can't expect. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so, um, and that happened a lot and there were a lot of amazing, cool, and then, you know, and then we, we springboard off of those little surprises and, um, and each session is different. So, um, I think there's, I think there's a lot, lot to learn. That said, I, I also, we didn't go too crazy with it, you know? Um, and so I think it shouldn't, it shouldn't be intimidating for, for anyone. It's totally. attainable, but it pu- it will push boundaries in your own creative process for sure. Well, guys, I mean, I'm dying to listen to some music with both of you. Uh, cool. We've got three tracks that absolutely defy, I think, expectations. So yes, folks, we are indeed listening to Goody Bag from Still Woozy. Just from uh, I think he was at the in the habit of putting out little singles this time, 2017. Sven Gamsky. Yeah, so, I've totally heard this. Awesome. Yeah. So I've totally heard this. Did I didn't it, realize it. And I'm I'm like terrible about knowing <laughs> no names of songs, no or like sweat names of artists or anything. <laughs> there too. Jumping right into how this defied my expectations and and listening back to a lot of uh, Still Woozy's music. This song is really built on four chords, uh, really the entire thing. Um, just to get, you know, it's very static harmony. And for anybody looking for those chords, you've got D minor, <laughs> uh, F7, though F13 kind of the first time around gets played, uh, B flat major seven and G minor seven. Yes, at the end of the song, it kind of varies from that. I think just the, the root motion mostly changes. The bass kind of takes over a little bit more of the, the harmonic motion. But how this defies expectations for me is like when I think of a song that's like, okay, it's got four chords. Yeah. There's a very good chance. And some of my favorite songs ever, like um, Say It Ain't So, I think is built mostly on just four chords. <laughs> you know, you get the bridge is different. But I feel like it can get static, maybe on the edge of getting a little stale. This song absolutely does not do that. I think they're getting the absolute most you possibly can out of um, very static harmony. And I really want to touch on why I think that is. So like, how are they getting, how's Sven getting the most out of uh, the harmonic motion on this track? I think big thing for me is the guitar production. Big mm-hmm. thing for for Still Woozy's music is this like incredibly like just inspiring and, and almost experimental approach to guitar where there, it feels like there's multiple tracks being played and then they're cut and spliced back in almost. Like this track, there's, at least two guitars uh, happening throughout most of it, heavily tremoloed. That's a big part of, of his sound. Um, and it just, the little licks, the little ear candy just from the guitar is just un- unbelievable. It kind of sounds, um, it sounds like he maybe recorded it slow and sped it up. Yeah. Mm. That does, I, I, that absolutely has that effect. I never thought of it that way, but I think you could be right, Ryan. And that's, like, yeah. whether whether you're listening to his track Lucy or, or Habit, I could let you have it, you could be my habit, you could be my woman, right? I don't want you 
he's an incredible singer. So he's singing and playing uh, guitar live, and it doesn't have as much of the the again little ear candy moments from the guitar. So I think yeah, definitely in post and definitely I I could be slowed down and then and then sped up. I, like I think that. if you if you plan it ahead, you can just do the math. You know, rather than do like kind of destructive audio, you can um you know you can just do the math and then just play in the wrong key and play it slow yeah you know yeah, i've done guitar. that i've done that quite quite a bit it's part of the ways that i discover things is listening to the way um phrases um not just timbre obviously changes and mm -hmm. tempo but there's also like a feel thing um mm -hmm. where things just feel different at different tempi and so I feel like that's one of the one of the one of one of the really good tricks um, that really anyone can do. Um, and it, it, I usually use a sampler to do this, but what I'll do is like I'll record like for a vocal double, for example, yeah. you can sing the song in a different in a like a, a higher key. It, it depends on what you want to go for, but like if I want um, kind of a thicker, almost like a formant shifted double, rather than format shifting i can um just sing it up a whole step or something or even a half step and fast and then just bring it back down and the easiest way to do that is to throw a mix that you're um that you're tracking to um just throw it into a sampler and then just like play it back a half step or a whole step hotter you know higher so it's faster and then just sing to that <laughs> you know knowing that the inverse process will work itself out i actually did that um on for the lead vocal on a track called Undertow mm -hmm. um, from mm. Tomorrow's Records. Just waiting for the undertow Stolen nice and slow And just in this track getting more out of I guess less and getting the most out of, of what it is. I just these little el elements of ear candy again. I, I use the term way too much, but restraint in, in production. <laughs> I think is another way to think of it. Is like you have these little moments that come up in a track that feel incredible, but they only happen one time. There's this extremely subtle synth swell really early in the track at 23 seconds. I'll play that for you right now. Yeah, you could barely hear it, but right, right at the end, going into the into the lyric again, Whoop. extremely yeah, subtle yeah. little swell. Um, there's a little line um, at 122 that also like just another moment that you get one time. Uh, the one that I do have to mention too, of course, is the chopped <laughs> vocal with the delay throw. It happens twice. So you at least get it more than one time, but uh, it's again, very, like it's fleeting. It happens just a couple of times and it sounds so, so sick. Like just those, those little moments. And I always feel like I, and I love making music like that, but I also am also in awe of the restraint when you hear something so sick that's like, yeah, we're just going to use it one time. Ryan, I'm guessing, like, <laughs> listening to, like, a lot of Sun Lux, is there anything, and, and even maybe in some of your other music that you can point to that you felt like this was such a incredible musical moment and idea that you felt maybe like it could be used more times throughout the track, but it just felt like you had to have that restraint, that you could only use it one time. It was so special. It could only show up that one moment. That's putting you on the spot yeah, big time, I think, but um, <laughs> I feel like you do that a yeah. lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I we we yeah, I mean we try to we try to do that. That's um, you know, sometimes repetition is um uh, the right thing to do. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh sometimes sometimes it's not. And um but, but <laughs> the way pleasure works is that you want something that you like, you want it to happen again. Um and so it's a uh it's such a fine line between you know, delivering what sounds so amazing in a way that keeps you wanting it. And like, rather than talk about something of my music, <laughs> an example of my music, um, James Brown, Big Payback. Mm. Um, there are these hits that happen very infrequently in that song. Bow. 
one of my f- most favorite things about in music making music is like creating these moments of surprise mm-hmm. and that was like you know little kid me when i first heard that um and still now right is i i'm like i just love it so much and you know yeah. it's so good that it could happen every other bar but no it's like this this long super patient song one one chord song otherwise it's the waiting for it that makes the payback yeah. all right sorry the payoff <laughs> the payback the payback, the payback, payback payoff, dude. Uh, so great the payback's so big um you know, and you know that's an example of of it. It happens more than once, but it's but it's this, but it contextually is so rare. Yeah, mm. and there's so little else happening, so so few musical ideas, and so in that song and soul music and funk and and um, Afrobeat is also this mm. is true of musics that I like just uh, I'm obsessed with. They all have this thing in common, actually, which is that they're an assemblage of ideas, of small ideas that happen in repetition a lot with very, very subtle variation. Mm. And then there are events, right? Yeah, yeah. Music like that, I just love making music like that. Um, I'm doing a ton of it right now. And I don't know why it's such a thing for me like i just i'm obsessed with it i love i love music that doesn't change doesn't change doesn't change doesn't change or on its surface and then you listen really closely and it's mm-hmm. it's constantly changing but doesn't change doesn't change doesn't and then it's like event ah, you know? <laughs> yeah yeah um so if i can create music like that and i'm not good at it it, it requires a kind of yeah restraint i'm 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 heading in that i'm trying to head in that direction Mm. um and one of the ways that i'm still immature is i still i haven't honed that ability to be patient and understand where an idea is best suited for repetition Mm. it actually grows more effective with repetition parsing those little ideas that benefit from repetition and those that grow decreasingly rewarding with repetition right and if you can find the marriage of those things in a song that's like it's like minimalism but with ornamentation or something i don't even know i think it's yeah 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 Yeah. yeah. um just the last last uh thing to touch on with goodie bag here in terms of i think how like just the overall concept of the track and i think how it went on to to like just for me continue to defy my expectations of what a limited amount of harmony can do really um there's a lot of space there's like there's also like mm. the the heavy lifting of the track is kind of passed around um sometimes the vocals shine and take over sometimes a lot of times it's the car- guitar throughout m- much of the only verse on the track it's the bass with that ottawa envelope yeah. filter sound carrying it well if she had to choose me or her mom i know i would We're going to take a little opportunity here, uh, <laughs> which we, we rarely do. We've only been able to do one at a time. But we are going to listen to a track with the actual artist. Uh, in I was going to say in studio. We're not in a studio. We're in our various <laughs> dwellings. Of, yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, we're going to have a listen to it and we're going to we're going to discuss a little bit. I'm very, very excited to get into this next track. So here we go. I ask everybody with their selection. So this is going to be a little awkward. I, I ask them what we have the pleasure of listening to. So uh, I would like you to just mention what do we have the uh, utmost pleasure of listening to right now? Uh, this is a song uh, called Live Another Life by Sun Lux. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Just continuing the awkwardness for me and putting myself in 
uh, <laughs> weird spots. But I remember Mejia hipping me to Sunlux. Uh, we were moving from New York to LA. Mm-hmm. It's been like 2015. And she's like, I got to I got to play you this band. And and anytime anybody's like, I got to play you this new band or music, I my expectations, I think, are often measured. It's like, yeah, I'll, pro- I'll probably like this because I, I think they have great taste in music and everything. And also, oh, thanks. if I don't like it, that's that's fine. But she played easy for me. And I remember it mm-hmm. very, very well. And it talk about defying expectations was like. You get the swaggy yeah. kind of swaggies. I don't know if this is the right word for it, but that pocketed guitar up front, um, the intense vocal Woozy. production, it's, and then the horn line still. hits, and it's just like I couldn't like. Yeah. Oh my god, dude. Yeah, that's the surprise. That's yeah. The, that's the that's that song is that's a good example of like ideas that um, a small number of ideas that can repeat and basically not change, and then these like a little mm-hmm. anomalous events that are very surprising. Boop up, boop up. <sighs> It's also anomalous uh, rhythmically too. It's based on subdivisions that you haven't heard yet in the song. The other thing that that struck me, and I think that you do this, you talk about it in the course a little bit too, but like finding artifacts and sounds that end up giving, I think more almost like personality to mm. the music. I don't know if that's the right word, but like the, you, you leave things in that that just make it feel organic and you hear the clicking of the keys on the, on the horns and, and easy. And it's just mm-hmm. so, and oh, it's yeah. very prevalent yeah. that you hear it. And it's just like yeah, yeah. so engaging as a listener and mm-hmm. things that maybe other producers would be like, we got to cut that. We got to get, we got to gate that, or we got to just cut that track so yeah. we only hear the horn. Yeah. The, the thing about that though, real quick, and a, a lot of people know that song, but so it's, it's kind of easy to talk about without, uh, 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 it's kind of easy to talk about, <laughs> um, you know, without having without having to play it. Yeah, it's not that it's just intimate. Um, yeah, it's that it's that it's both. It's far away and it's close. And I think you know that's uh, con- the contrast is what's really essential. Um, I want to hear the key clicks, but then I also want to see. I want to hear this like big wide space or big long space or something. Um, bright clicks, dark verb, that kind of thing. I want to. I want. I want both. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway. You know what I think really stands out to me about your music? And I think You Don't Know Me might have been the first song I ever heard of yours. And mm-hmm. that low, like, very <laughs> sax-ish sound. I, yeah. This is maybe a strange way to put it, but I feel like you have a respect for your listeners that we don't always hear in music production. You know, like, things like mm. those clicks. Like, it, there's a real sense of, like, yeah. people are going to be fine with this. People mm-hmm. are gonna I mean, connect. I'm just making music for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so you respect yourself. I think you're 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 imbuing you're imbuing <laughs> me with a certain <laughs> virtue. Like I'm, um, uh, I'm like, I mean, yes, I have a respect for my listener because I have respect for myself. Um, and I think my litmus test is ultimately just me. Mm-hmm. And I know, I mean, I think that's why, you know, when I realized I wanted to be a composer, it's just like I just wanted to make music I wanted to hear. And with yeah. Sunlux, like the whole concept was like. I felt like there was music out there that I didn't know about, but surely would exist. And I would just love it if it did. And it should, these are the kinds of things I would want it to sound like. And then it was just basically, that's how I knew what I was, what I wanted to do. I just wanted to make music that did those things and felt those ways and had those colors and, and, um, and pushed and pulled in those particular ways. And so I just made music I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Live another life. You, you get into it in great detail in in your course, but right off the top, that that sample, uh, the rhythmic sample, mm-hmm. I always yeah. hear that. And Ryan, this happened a lot working in the course where you would pull a sound and the implied grid that you have it on. I didn't hear that at all. Like I was like, it's yeah, yeah. totally yeah, yeah. different. So you have this like really incredible approach to finding finding rhythm. But I I hear the initial sample in three. And then you bring in a backbeat mm-hmm. with the very subtle piano. And then of course the vocal phrasing. I don't even have a question here. I just I want to point <laughs> that point that part out. Like you do that a lot, man. I, I just like maybe maybe you could shed some light on how that happens so often in your music, uh, where the implied pulse is like it's there, but you're finding something else in it in another grid that I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Can I ask that in a more specific way? Please ask that case. in a more specific way. Yes. <laughs> Help me out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is the way that you ended up interpreting that pulse the way you initially heard it? Ah, yes. Great question. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So the way this, um, the the way this song started, that sound 
is a uh, very, very slowed down mallet roll on a Jill, which is a Ghanaian xylophone that has uh, gourds that are resonators that have holes in them. And then those holes, holes are covered with uh, spider egg sacs, hmm. very thin material. And that's how it creates a buzz. Wow. The sample is, uh, is a recording of an artist by an artist who's also a friend of ours called S.K. Kakaraba. And he is not only a master of the jill, but he's also a, an instrument maker as well. So mm. he makes his instruments. And the mallets are made of um, beeswax. Oh, cool. Um, the, the heads of the mallets. So in real time, it's like, like that, mm-hmm. yeah. like really fast. Right? But slow down is like that. So what I did is I, I thought, okay, a dyad, so two notes playing together, is like the simplest chord, right? A chord is two or more notes. Mm-hmm. Right. Simplest kind of chord. Is, it's called a dyad. So what I, what I thought was, okay, thinking about that rhythm as a pitch, because it is a pitched, it is a pitched instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, if I play a dyad, then there's a composite rhythm that, that it will result that will both express the dyad, which is like express the chord, but it will also iterate into a composite rhythm that will likely be interesting. Mm. And every different dyad will result in different composite rhythms Mm -hmm. that will likely be sometimes sensical, quote unquote, and sometimes sound like nonsense. And so this whole song is based on this idea with two notes playing back at the same time of that sample. They create a certain rhythm together. Yeah. And if you listen as it develops, those rhythms actually kind of do make sense. The only thing I did to sort of make them make more sense is every other bar I change tempo and I oscillate between, I think it's like four, maybe even five BPM. And, mm. and you can almost not even tell because Ian, the way Ian plays with it, well, the rhythms are complex. Yeah. And then the way Ian plays with it is so great that. It just still feels good. And then when mm-hmm. you do hear the lunge, the push and pull back and forth, for some reason, it feels good. <laughs> I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, no, totally. But this whole song is based on that idea. It's like, you know, one of them is going ding, 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 ding. And the other one's going ding, 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 right? Yeah. And the <laughs> So the song just starts with one of those notes. And it's like this, you know, I basically I'm like, I'm showing the ear like where quote unquote one is or where, you know, at least a pulse is. Yeah. And then I'm subdividing between that pulse with the piano that starts the pulse in. And by the way, that piano is RX'd at first and all of the tonal material is removed. Mm. And so it's just a thuck at first. And then I crossfade it with the regular sound of the piano. Oh, so I it, it gradually begins to sing and becomes harmonic. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, there's only three chords in the song. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So defying harmonic expectations as well, because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. Um, this only works, right, if you have incredibly high level musicians the question here is just how how the three of you met each other and 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 made this music happen. <laughs> um, so I first met Rafik uh, Rafik Batia. Um, I first met him online. Um, he was friends of friends, and he reached out about potentially doing a show together in New York. This was back in two thousand twelve, maybe. Mm-hmm. And he, um, I had just moved to the LA area. And he didn't know that. And he was still in Brooklyn. So he was trying to figure out if we could do a show together. And ultimately, we couldn't because of that. And um, Mm -hmm. But when he reached out, he shared some of his music with me. And it was like totally amazing. So, so rad. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, dude, I want to work with this guy. So basically, I started to get him involved in the different things I was working on. Um, I was working on a record with uh, Sufjan and Serengeti. um, And he plays on that. I was working on a film, my first feature film score, Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. Mm. Um, He did a bunch of recording uh, for that. Um, And then I was working on this record. um, And I was like, yo, I've got this one song that has this simple guitar part that I'm thinking of. And then it'd be cool to create some space for like a guitar solo, but something kind of non-traditional. And that was easy. So then with When Lanterns dropped like Halloween ish of 2013 i knew that i wanted him 
to be part of a band that I was going to tour with. And this, this was the first time I was going to like properly tour. I mean, really, I, I began the Sunlux Project, you know, in my attic in Cleveland um, in 2004. Wow. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm going on 20 years at this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, thanks. So I was like, yo, I, I want you to be part of my band. I don't really know what it looks like. I know that the live arrangements are going to be different. Um, Rafiq has a, had just like has such a great producer's mind and mm. he's got a unique and a, approach to his instrument. Um, but it, but that's not where it, like the story ends. That's kind of just like one of the yeah, yeah. aspects of who he is as a musician. He had done a show with Ian, and so he knew Ian and and uh, sent me some videos of Ian playing some crazy like free experimental jazz stuff, um, some straight ahead rock stuff, and and then like a whole just SPD. I, I was just like, okay, this is exactly what I want <laughs> a person that's who's. Sick going to be able to hold all of these things in balance. Mm. You know, the electronics, the the sort of like precision, the a mechanistic sort mm-hmm. of thing, but above all else have like a liberty and an elasticity with the pulse and be able to play against the click and make it his plaything. <laughs> the bass is created with um I recorded a uh, a cello mm. uh, with a heavy practice mute uh-huh. on, just doing like really low drones, but kind of like subtly changing the pitch a little bit, just like warbling a pitch. And then I built a contact instrument out of that. What happens is when you use a heavy practice mute on a stringed instrument, it like changes the harmonic overtones uh, structure kind of. Mm-hmm. And so I created the bass uh, with, with that. The story of the drums is really cool where um, we had done a whole bunch of like tracking of like drum layers over this this changing grid where it's like oscillating between these two tempi and then we're done and it was like, okay, cool. And then I sort of walked into the tracking room and Ian just like played this really cool beat. Like that. I was like, wait, what is that? And he's like, oh, nothing. I'm just, you know, I'm just screwing around. And I'm like, could that be the beat for this instead? And we had just spent like 20 minutes like creating this whole composite thing or maybe yeah. more. And he was like, oh, yeah, I can try. It's pretty fast. And I was like, no, you can do it. You can do it. And I went back in the control room and I like, you know, I started the click and it was like, and he's like, oh, that's really fast. Uh, I don't know if I could do that. But he did, of course. Yeah. And um, that's how that beat happened, which is really incredible. fun. Incredible. Thereby defying his um, own expectations. <laughs> wow, yeah. Rafiq's part on the song is really cool. He has like yeah. a composite, um, it's guitar rain, we call it. He does this thing where he kind of plays one layer at a time of like repeated notes. But kind of like changing up like that, changing it up a little bit. And then like uh, it accumulates into this sort of like mass of rain. If you ima- uh, uh, imagine like each like little pluck is like a raindrop, um, but they're moving lines. So it's not just repeated notes, so they're actually moving lines. And so the lines move in such a way that as it accumulates, it expresses the harmony. Of course, that jerk just like one taked it, and it just sounds incredible. <laughs> that almost reminds me of like like a Jackson Pollock but in musical form or yeah. something. You know, like you take a step yeah. back and it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, like, but imagine if like you're splatter painting and like you step back and you realize it like created a face. You yeah, know? Um, <laughs> and there's a the Mona Lisa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like that. It's, you know what, it's like, it's like Syrah. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's kind of like. Oh, okay, yeah. Sir, you know, it's like Syrah meets, but it's, but it's, but it's looser and more fun. So it's like, um, it's like Syrah meets Pollock maybe. <laughs> The, the space you set up at the end of this track with the the wild outro to it is just mm-hmm. has to be mm-hmm. mentioned of course but um mm-hmm. it's kind of this this coalesce of like all the elements of of the track coming together and still the parts all complementing each other there's a really extensive uh string section that is um it's actually it's four players playing in unison um mm-hmm. at the octave 
as as wide octaves as possible. So like cello, viola, violin, and violin. And they're playing the same melody over and over again, which is, um, it's a melody from a song from the first Sunlux record called Weapons. Mm. Um, and it's a melody that occurs at least wow. once um, on every album. That's awesome. So they're playing that. And then I, I recorded them doing it a, a bunch. They begin to layer on top of each other, but entering in stretto, mm. which means entering staggered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like <laughs> a very analog version of delay. <laughs> yeah. But you're doing that with takes of of string quartet, um, you know, standard indie rock shit. <laughs> I mean, it has a little bit of a like a like an invention or fugue quality to yeah. it, or something like that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. And as the phrase kind of changes, you know, then you gradually hear it morph and change shape, and then the relation, and then mm-hmm. as the phrase repeats. I add a small division of time between mm. them so that there's the tiny little gaps added. Yeah. So they become further and further apart, which means that the composite smear, when it develops a macro pulse, it also then kind of changes. Yeah, it yeah. like the macro pulse shifts because the relationship between all of the, the lines is always changing. Totally. That melody, it's presented in a slightly different context all of a sudden. So like as a listener, your relationship to it changes. And that's, it's a cool emotional experience, honestly, just to listen in a focused way to that song. Here we go. Here's uh, our final selection for the episode, Songs That Defy Your Expectations. version is too fast by the way <laughs> some hamp uh what do we have the pleasure of listening to Ooh, pleasure is a big word um is this still um is this still woozy yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean it is kind of woozy <laughs> and then like take number 630 it's like yeah this is this is still, <laughs> still fe- woozy still feeling well, woozy. that's part of the thing with this piece right which we'll get into but um we're listening to eric sati's vexations which some think is his masterpiece, others think was a private joke that he was making aimed at people like <laughs> Wagner, possibly as listeners yeah. too. Yeah. Um, obviously, you both have some familiarity with it, right? I, I suspected mm-hmm. you did being mm-hmm. a pianist and coming mm-hmm. from a bit of a traditional but experimental yeah. background. How do you feel mm-hmm. about, well, vexations and also Sati in general? Um, I think, okay, first of all, I want to say like we don't, so this this piece wasn't published in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, he never like discussed it, right. at least like in writings or anything like that. And I, I think it's, I think like a friend mentioned it in a letter or something. And so I think, I think like John Cage or something. John so Cage I think, it, yeah. wow. Yeah. So, and I, I, um, I could see that it would, it was like, you know, a quote unquote joke, like a musical joke or like, <laughs> Um, a thing that he was like gonna send to his friends is like in in good yeah. humor, but that doesn't also mean it's not like super rad. And like it's it doesn't mean absolutely that he also wasn't trying to make it super rad. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it just might have been a thing where like the purpose for which he created it disappeared, and then he had no home for it. You know, it happens all the time. We have like make you know we make these musical things for a specific purpose, and then the purpose goes away. And then you have to look for another home for it that feels mm-hmm. really, um, feels like home. Uh, yeah, anyway, so I think um, what, uh, so what was the question again? Just how do you feel about, do you, how, what are your personal Oh, how do I feel about, about it? Yeah, so I feel like, like my perception of it doesn't have to be informed by Satie's yeah, yeah. <laughs> opinion of it. Like, I can just let the music be the music and I think it's incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. You know, it's not something I want to listen to 840 times. <laughs> right. Um, but. Or play. Uh, uh, or, yeah, or play it. I think I'd play it. 
I've thought about it. I'm like, dude, that'd be an experience to have in your life to have done it. Well, give it <laughs> yeah, a shot. I mean, I, I kind of wonder, I wonder the way to do it. And if it's ever been done like this is, um, is to have like a simultaneous performance, um, like around the world or something like that, where oh. it is done 840 times, but, um, but just like once, just kind of at the same time <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or in succession where everybody has like a particular, um, timestamp where they have to like that would be kind yeah. of amazing actually because it doesn't have to be yeah. done Dude, that's on fine 838 either. other pianists oh my gosh yeah i've heard it done on i've heard people play one time through on strings and it sounds pretty great oh yeah i mean you could do it like organ vibes mm-hmm. you know you could like there's so many different things I you want to hear do. choir do it um, yeah <laughs> I mean, it'd be amazing I think it works at different temp at different tempi too, and I think that's one of the the strengths of the pieces. It feels like these harmonies can really linger. You know, you had mentioned that like that version we played feels felt fast too fast to, to you. Yeah. One's one of the things that's kind of like good about playing it that fast is you hear the relationships between the the intervals mm. as almost as chords, right? Because the second one contextualizes the first and together they make a harmony. Mm-hmm. Like, so, oh, that's a fifth. And then it's like, oh no, that's a sixth. Yeah. And you kind of hear it because they're closer together. You know, it's different. It feels like each note is an event. Yeah. The arrangement of those notes is so curious, um, which is his thing, right? He just... Absolutely. Can, can, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of, it's a very like tritone heavy piece, yeah. especially if you look mm-hmm. at individual lines. It's, I think one of the reasons I, I picked this and why I, even though as a pianist, I've had to play Sati, I, I don't emotionally connect with it as a performer the way mm-hmm. that I would like to. Um, mm-hmm. like he had a 30 year friendship with Debussy, who I, I emotionally connect with Debussy instantly, you know, very, very different yeah. writers, obviously. Yeah. But even though it's half a sheet of paper, the entire score, people have a lot of trouble memorizing it. Oh. Because I'm, of the note selection. I can attest to that. I I listened <laughs> to, and I don't have as much experience with Basati or, or this piece, but I, I was just listening to it this morning and like, I couldn't tell when one version ended and, and the next <laughs> began. It really felt like yeah. a maze. Yeah. And I, it was disorienting it's truly very like disorienting. It, so which was kind of cool like i don't yeah. know music that can do that to you well it's like, a different experience right then like, yeah and this was kind of this was part of his thing too is he like he wrote furniture music um which has a much more beautiful name in french but my french accent's bad so look it up instead of hearing me say it <laughs> um that was like literally intended to not be listened to the purpose mm-hmm. was for it to be heard but not listened to which by itself, mm-hmm. to me, I was like, that whole concept defies our expectations for music as a whole. Right. Yeah, yeah. But like the idea of like furniture music was, you know, this is music that supports the setting. It's like hanging a new curtain in a room or something, you know? Um, that's yeah, so I mean, I me. think what I really, I, I, I also agree. I mean, I think it's very fascinating and I think it, 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 um, you know, I was talking earlier about like the idiomatic listener. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Another way to think about it is that like you can go to a piece of music in search of how your expectations are going to be met. Um, and I think that's very intuitive for us. Mm-hmm. And that's because we love pattern because mm-hmm. our lives are all built on pattern. Our meals, uh, our this up and down of the sun, our sleep, <laughs> our breathing, our heartbeat—it's all pulse based. It's all uh, based on repetition and variation, and expectation is um, our embrace of those rhythms, right? Mm. And of those cycles. And I think when we come to music, it's important for me that my expectations are both met and also challenged. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think that that's probably true of every kind of thing, like whether it's dance or architecture or like vi- other forms of visual art. Like when you walk into like a stunning space, like what makes it stunning is that, at least for me, I'll just speak to, about myself, is that there, there's a familiarity to it mm-hmm. um, that 
makes me feel like I understand what's happening. But then there's also these incredible surprises, uh, spatial surprises, uh, where the light comes from, how it shoots shoots across the room and creates different angles, how like things are parallel and not parallel. Like there's all these little surprises that give the space its unique um, its uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Mm. And maybe this this relates to Satie's idea of like it's meant to be heard and not listened to. What that makes me think about is like, oh, there's hearing music, which is like you don't have expectations for it right. because you're just it's just happening at you and you're hearing it. If you're listening, you're bringing that bias. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you bring to the classroom when you sit you know sit down to learn? Yeah, I think there's some something to be said maybe about hearing something versus listening. It's just the experience. Yeah, because the experience is different if it's mm-hmm. about how, like, I'm listening so that I'm curious how my expectations are going to be met. Right. And how <laughs> am know? I going to respond to it? And I'm like, there's this other yeah. thing. Whereas if you're just hearing something, it's just kind of happening to you. And maybe it becomes your focal point. But maybe yeah. it's like some of this furniture music where like artwork was the focal point and the music happened to be there. But your experience of that artwork is different mm-hmm. because that yeah. music was there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is blowing my mind. I don't have, like, I'm so at a loss for words because I don't know that I've ever personally thought about hearing versus listening. But now being confronted with that <laughs> is pretty jarring because it's, yeah, absolutely. Am I just hearing? And 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 this piece, I might be a changed person now. Like, I'm just thinking about how I was experiencing <laughs> it this morning and I, I just heard it. It wasn't, Yeah. I often have, and I think everybody has this, but I can remember... If a song is is maybe stuck in my hand because because I like it, I can remember exactly where I was in my home, my car, what I was doing exactly where a specific moment of music happened, right? Right. This piece, I have no idea what was going on in my life or anything like that when I was listening Which to it or any time I listened to it. It's, it is mm. it, it it like transcends any kind of typical listening experience. So expectations defied for sure but um yeah it's inherently anomalous for like for you and the kind of music that you're not necessarily kind of music but like to the the different musics that you experience yeah Mm -hmm. and and i think uh and maybe that's also part of like the memorization thing where it's it's, Mm -hmm. it it also has a quality about it that is always skirting what you'd expect um and memorization is easier when it's a series of expected right um, if it's an, you know, a sequence of expected events, it's much easier to memorize. The conditioning um, that we have listening to Western music in the Western world, I've wondered if somebody who's used to different scales might have an easier time latching onto this yeah. piece. Because there's like, like we were told the tritone was evil at one point. Like there's just there's well, things that, that we don't. Well, that was before our time. Well, that, so that may or may not be true. Yeah. But, but, but like that stuff still works its way down to us, right? So some of this, I wonder, like, is this just... Oh, a for sure. The, yeah, because because yeah. yeah, yeah, because that music was codified in mm-hmm. and fixed in us into our experience, um, and it was rooted in certain biases. That was uh, that's one of them. Yeah. Which is why, as we're handed down things, we're handed down things with more force than others. Yes, it was way before our time, but but it's, it's but it's still, still yeah. part mm-hmm. of our experience mm-hmm. and the residue of that that bias. Even the patterns of things. So, like, we expect music to be constrained by where it starts and where it ends you know and that's like you know measure Mm. one and measure blah 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 wherever the solid double bar line is but this is a piece that is constrained by the number of times it gets repeated (laughs) it's 840 Mm. repetitions of a thing i don't even remember what the bar line looks like at the end i should have the score in front of me and i don't but that by itself is weird right and also the direction like he provides a, a rough tempo and he basically wrote one sentence saying you should prepare for this Good by luck. like like you'll need stamina kind of thing and that's oh that's yeah. what he gave people go go definitely go pee <laughs> exactly <laughs> but from there people are free to interpret it however they want if they're actually going to do it so like when cage did it he brought 11 pianists in addition to himself and they played in 20 minute shifts and that's one way you could do mm-hmm. it that's and sweet. that's a weird experience um in 1967 a performer named richard top played a 24-hour solo marathon of this piece so he played mm-hmm. for 24 hours i don't even know if he did 840 times through wow. and then in 1970 a pianist named peter evans had to abandon a solo performance <laughs> after 595 mm. repetitions because and i quote 
He was being overtaken by evil thoughts and noticed strange creatures emerging from the sheet music. Um, oh my god. <laughs> I know, right? Performers report crazy ranges of emotions with this. Like they start feeling like happy to play they go through a period of like agitation they get bored they get happy they get fascinated that's not how i'm used to experiencing music (laughs) right yeah 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 wow that's 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 really rad (laughs) the challenge is put forth to to you both (laughs) to give it a try oh man Ryan, I mean, incredible producer, composer, musician, artist, and course author with us, of course, at Soundfly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, recently, Mahe and I just saw Everything Everywhere All at Once, and of oh course, gosh. your score lent so much to that film. <laughs> Unbelievable work. But, uh, dude, here, here's the place. Like, I mean, please share with our listeners what you got going on that you're comfortable sharing and uh, what we can expect in the in the future from Ryan Lott, Sunlocks. Just, uh, I know you're doing lots of different things. Um, yeah. But yeah, please, the floor is yours. Yeah, I think, you know, as a band, um, that was such an incredible experience making this score mm-hmm. um, for Everything Everywhere All at Once. It'll be hard to find another experience like it that is so enriching and and, mm. and like and and kind of scratches so many different itches um we are like the movie in this we are kind of like a multiverse band in a sense you know like we <laughs> yeah. um we just we have all these different versions of ourselves um individually and collectively and so uh, this movie enabled us to be a lot of those which is amazing and even discover some new ones um and uh, but but scoring is something we'd we'd really like to do a lot more of. So that's um, it's something that we're um, we're we're aiming for for sure. Um, we're in a touring nice. season now. We're about to head out to Europe uh, for a couple trips this summer, and then uh, in the fall we're going to be um, working on some new material and also our our solo projects. Um, and then in, in the spring we do we head back to Europe for um, a, a big run of club shows. Um, so yeah, just staying extremely busy. Um, we definitely yeah. have some surprises up our sleeves, but yeah, I'm 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 excited for the future. And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to listen to every song mentioned on this episode and even more songs that defy expectations, be sure to check out this episode's Spotify playlist in our show notes. And head to soundfly.com to check out the brand new course, Ryan Lott Designing Sample-Based Instruments as a part of our subscription. And remember to use the discount code PODCAST, that's PODCAST in all caps, to take 20% off a monthly or annual subscription. If you're enjoying the show, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can always drop us a line with any theme suggestions, questions, or comments at podcast at soundfly.com. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.